Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. So I have two out of three final papers done. I am wrapping up my last one, and then uh, it's just time to wait for the grades and hope uh, hope I've passed the master's program and I'm done. So yeah, things are looking up. Um, I have to say my stress levels are lowering, which is good because, you know, it's been kind of a strange summer between the potential bad attack, the rabies shots, the thesis paper, job search, you know, not being near the mountains. Uh, I was thinking, I was telling someone in a meeting I had earlier today, I'm like, I, I like Chicago, but it's too flat and there's no mountains around here. And I, I do enjoy seeing seeing trees and mountains and fresh air and space. Um, you know, I have about three running routes that I just kind of have to repeat throughout the week, you know. So, yeah, I... I think this summer made me realize how much I need open space and nature during the summer. So luckily, you know, the last week I've been going down to the to, to the lake a lot. I've been sitting at the lake and reading some Hemingway. And, you know, that's been nice. Getting some space, sitting out there. There's something about the water, listening to some music. Maybe bring down a nice soda or a beer and just kind of unwind, read. It's It's kind of filled the void. At least I can pretend I'm at the lake in the mountains somewhere. So that's been good. Of course, there was a very crazy guy last time I was down at the lake. Um, he was screaming at me. He was going to drop an airstrike. Um, he managed to have a outfit change like three times. Got verbally very violent and aggressive, not just to me, but towards everyone in the area. So eventually I decided to move. I didn't want to be a, a victim of a potential whatever, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, craziness going on, but I'm glad he didn't drop an airstrike on me. So anyways, we'll get into the topics I want to talk about today. First off, I want to look at Biden's loan forgiveness plan, which um, I am actually against, but I also am not against it for some of the right-wing talking points. I just think it's a, a Band-Aid on like a missing leg, which obviously uh, doesn't help. And then I also want to talk about why I think the red wave could be fizzling for the midterms and why that actually worries me in some ways. And not for the reason of, oh, I want Republicans to win, but because I'm worried about how some people might react to that. So starting, <laughs> I can't help but wonder if maybe like a month ago, a little bit less than a month ago, Biden got injected with something, superhuman serum or ivermectin or whatever you want to call it, because he is definitely doing better. Ever since those dark Brandon memes started going around on the internet, it's kind of like, yeah, he's he's kind of come back from the dead. He's a phoenix that's starting to rise from the ashes. Because, let's be honest, going into the summer, things were not looking great for him. And they're still not particularly looking amazing for him, but they're looking better and we'll take it. But, you know, gas prices are down, inflation's down, and he's, you know, between the Inflation Reduction Act and now student loans, he's getting stuff done that are popular with the base. And, you know, he's not my favorite president by any means. But I think a lot of people forget that we are in such a polarized environment. Every election is now being treated as something existential. And the fact that he's gotten anything done is good. You know, I think people are underappreciating his presidency. His approval is low. I get that. But I think that's just the norm, right? I mean, Trump's also super unpopular. Biden's done a lot more than Trump has so far. And 
I, I think obviously Biden's not articulate. He's cranky. He's definitely older. I don't think he should run again, but I do think that people are not appreciating everything that he's doing, and we just need to keep that in mind. Is he finally has announced his program for alleviating the burden of some student debt, I guess is what we could say. And NBC reported on Wednesday that President Joe Biden announced that he will cancel $10,000 in federal loans for millions of borrowers, and then also it could be up to $20,000 for people that are on the Pell Grant. So borrowers would also have to earn less than $125,000 or $250,000 for couples who file taxes jointly. And Biden is also extending the pause on federal student loan payments for a final time through December 31st. We'll see if that is the final time. They kind of keep kicking this ball down the road, but whatever. And of course, this is not the 50000 or all student loan debt that Democrats had called for, especially more progressives like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, but it is a big deal. And it's a big deal for someone especially like Biden, because I would say he's more on the neoliberal side of things. He's definitely more of a moderate centrist Democrat, and he's historically been opposed to things like this in the past. And People in his school of thought, from the Clinton-esque types to him, have usually kind of relied on tax incentives, tax breaks, credits, vouchers, these type of... That's kind of, I guess, the neoliberal system. And I'm not always against that, to be honest, but that is kind of how they view solving these issues. Throw that type of money at the problem. And loan forgiveness has really been something that Biden's instincts have said he's against. So this is a huge change. Now, I think it's probably pretty obvious why he did this, right? He... He, you know, he'd been in coordination with Bernie Sanders back when Bernie endorsed him for president. And as from what I've gathered, just from reading some articles on it, he had kind of promised that he would do this. And obviously it's not what Bernie wants in scope, but it's something. It's something. And also the midterms, right? The midterms are coming up and this is definitely popular with younger Democratic voters. And I mean, let's just be honest, like, as, as I'm sure most of you are aware, younger voters don't vote, especially in midterms. So if you're trying to get people out to vote, this might do it, you know, so that that is something to consider. Also, according to the numbers, at least from what I've seen, and now the numbers have varied, close to 45 million people in the U.S. have some form of student debt. And the Federal Reserve has estimated that in the second quarter of 2022, people in total or um, owed more than 1.7 trillion in student loans. So, I mean, it's definitely a problem. I don't think I have to tell anyone that. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons he did it. I do think at least for the midterms and getting people out to vote, it might work. But in the long term, I think I have some skepticism and even uh, criticism. But off the bat, I will say that this is an issue and it's only getting worse. And what I mean is the cost of education and the barriers to entry, right? And I cannot even tell you how many times, you know, I've had family members talk about how they could work part-time, afford their college tuition. Oh, I went to Berkeley for a thousand bucks, you know, or what, whatever it may be. It was possible to work part-time and afford your college tuition. Now you work part-time in college just to afford like rent or food or, you know, (laughs) those type of things. It's like tuition is not even considered if you're working part-time. And there are just clearly problems in higher education. And it's made it just so inaccessible to people. 
And also, it's just put a lot of people in a tough place. Because remember, like, especially my generation, the generation under me, though I think things are changing, our whole lives we've been told, you go to college, you have to go to college, college is important if you want a good career, blah, 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 blah. So then, you know, at 17, you, you take out a debt. And maybe you don't graduate. But you still have to pay that. And, you know, people can declare bankruptcy with credit card debt, I believe, for example. But with student loan debt, it's, it's there with you. It's there with you. You really can't get out of it, which I think is insane. And it's predatory. The interest rates are high. Look, it's, it's a problematic system. And just to caveat this, I, I am someone who did not have student debt in my undergraduate years. My parents were awesome, and I'm very lucky that they covered my, my undergraduate costs. Um, I'm, I'm very, very lucky there. But I, I do have some student loan debt coming out of my master's here. But that's a decision I made, and um, I think there's a difference between sometimes a master's debt and undergraduate debt because there's an expectation that a master's is kind of fine-tuning a career, and there's hopes that you can pay that back. And so that's a whole other can of worms. I don't want to open that up right now, but I just wanted to say that I do have a stake in this game, and I do have my own biases like everyone. So moving on. Add on top of, you know, like I was saying, the rising costs. We also have stagnated wages, inflation, higher cost of living. It's just made made the whole situation pretty unattainable for a lot of people. And, you know, you would probably assume from what I've said here that I am supportive of this $10,000 to $20,000 in loan forgiveness, right? Well, it's actually no, no, I'm not for this. Uh, I think it's a bad idea. And this is probably not a popular opinion. I'm sure I'll have people say, why? Why? Like, are you just being a, you know, conservative asshole who doesn't like big government spending, blah, blah, blah. And, well, you know, I, I just think it's, um, again, not going to solve the problem. It's going to be atrocious politically, I think, for Democrats in the long term. And I do think the Supreme Court could also strike it down just because it's based on the HEROES Act, which came out of 9-11. And I'm not sure if it actually applies to what they were intending the HEROES Act to be used for, so it'll be interesting to see. I'll get to all those points, but first I should add that I'm not against this loan forgiveness because of the reasons I've seen some Republicans giving, or what I've seen on social media, or what Tucker Carlson said is where it's just basically like a, a big, uh, big incentive for the elites. No, you know, some like the big talking point is that some people on the news and on Twitter are saying that this is just going to irritate past generations and people that have paid off their loans. They say it's not fair. I understand that. Like if you worked really hard to pay off your loans and now you're seeing people get these loan forgiveness plans or 10,000 taken off. Yeah, I could see why you'd personally be unhappy about that. But life's not fair. Okay. And (laughs) if we keep going through this, well, I didn't get it. So they shouldn't either type of mindset the country's never going to get better, right? It's like not approving a life-saving vaccine because someone you know died of the illness before the virus existed. Or, sorry, before the vaccine existed. It's basically like saying, well, we shouldn't have a COVID vaccine because my friend died of COVID before the vaccine happened. It wouldn't be fair to them. It's like, okay, but we need to move forward. Like, progress does happen. Things change. And so that's not why. That's not why I'm against this, because I, I do think that that's kind of a stupid argument. But the first reason I'm against this is because it's not actually going to solve any issues. Yes, it's helping some people that have burdensome debt, and that's good. However, it's not solving the root of the problem, so the problem's going to persist. 
The big issue is administrative costs, right? Universities are a scam in this regard. The, the top managerial class, the administrative class in universities, the bureaucracy, spending too much now in diversity, equity, and inclusion training and staff, all of this is just putting costs through the roof at colleges. I also, I mean, colleges now have, you know, bars on campus, water parks, just the amount of money they put into them. And then you have football programs that don't even really contribute much back to the school. So anyways, I could rant about that as well. But there's a good article in the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. And it just basically talks about how there's just a giant black hole of spending. That is DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in universities. And the article notes that, of course, the intention is good to have these programs because you want inclusion on campuses and treat upper staff how to do that better. But the bureaucracy in recent decades has made it, I guess you could say, difficult to know where the money's going. I find it hard to imagine that the universities are really using the money towards the professors, the curriculum, bettering the school. It seems like it's just they have more and more staff doing less and less things, and they need to cover them in a competitive education management system. And this is, again, the managerial economy, right? I had adjunct professors, meaning professors who work at multiple schools, maybe teach one course at one university, another course at another university. I've had adjunct professors back in my undergraduate years that said they had to work like three jobs to make ends meet, right? That shouldn't be the case. So we know that these universities are not giving the professors a great pay, unless you're tenured and been there for a while, of course, then you're doing fine. But yeah, you're probably doing multiple jobs, teaching at multiple universities. So we know that the money's not going to that. It's not going to the janitorial staff or the food staff or any of those people. It's, it's probably going to the DEI departments, the dean, etc. right? So, well, also, also, I would just add that, I mean, universities get hundreds of billions of dollars in government spending to them already, right? So, I mean, how much more, how much more do they need here? And one could speculate also with, with this loan forgiveness that universities will just raise costs more. Again, I don't, that might be a bit of an overreaction, but, you know, honestly, nothing would really particularly surprise me anymore, to be completely honest. I think if we want to solve this, we should regulate the industry more. We should also push for more accountability towards where government funds are going. And just because you're a not-for-profit university does not mean you're just being nice with your money. You know what I mean? So there's an article called Biden's Cancellation of Billions in Debt Won't Solve the Problem. It's in The Atlantic. It's by Adam Harris. And it's clear from reading this article, he is on the side that we need to do something about student loans. He's not some conservative or, you know, Fox News type of mindset where he's just like, no, we shouldn't do anything about this, blah, blah, blah. Just don't go to college. They're brainwashing and grooming you anyways, whatever. This guy seems to clearly be on the left. And he brings up a good point. He notes that the underlying issue here is that American education needs to be viewed as a public good again. And until this paradigm shifts... He's like, we're going to keep getting more and more debt. And he writes in quotes here, belatedly canceling some student debt is what a country does when it refuses to support students up front. 
And that is probably the most accurate and well-articulated take I have heard on this issue. And it really rings true in my head. Like subsidizing education is different than loan forgiveness. Like why do you think other countries don't have this issue? It's because they are covering it up front. And even if they don't have free education, it's in the thousands of dollars, not in the hundreds. So I think that's a really good point here is in instead of dealing with this on the back end, we need to be anticipating this and dealing with it on the front end. And second, the second reason here is that I think this is going to be politically atrocious for Biden. And again, we don't know yet. We're going to have to see what happens in the midterms, which I'll talk about other issues later. Like, obviously, it could go either way here because the Republicans obviously have done some politically atrocious things lately, too. <clears throat> Roe v. Wade. And uh, but like staying on student loans here for a second, it could help them in the midterms. But I don't know if it's going to help them in the long run. And Tom Nichols... Republican, but sensible Republican. Actually, I don't, I don't even know if he's a Republican anymore. He used to be. <laughs> um, he has a great article also in The Atlantic, and he writes in quotes here, fewer than four in 10 Americans over 25 have a four-year college degree. Only 13% have federal student debt. And it kind of his point in this article is that this is really helping a very small subset of Americans who already vote for Democrats. And I guess the problem is that credit card debt is also at a new record high in the last six months. And it makes sense based on the economic situation. People also have car payments, mortgages, etc. It just seems a little bit ridiculous for me that the forgiveness is only about college education. It should be more broad because, and I know this sounds cliche, but it's, it's never a good message when you have like truck drivers now seeing a raise in their taxes over the next decade for something they never attended. Like, like I know it's cliche, but it, it's just so simple that it makes sense to me. And I also want to read this stretch of the article from Tom Nichols. It's a little long, but I think it is, it, it is worth reading because it, it explains why I don't think this is the political dream that a lot of people may think it's going to be for Biden. Nichols writes here in quotes, this policy is aimed at the young and college educated, a group that is, in the main, composed of reliable Democrat, voting, Democrat Party voters, sorry, and who should by now be plenty motivated by the ongoing threat to democracy from the Republican Party. The legendary American general, George Patton, describing his disdain for retreating and then having to retake the same ground, reportedly said that he hated to pay for the same real estate twice. Nichols continues, that's what Democrats are doing. They are trying to buy a constituency that ought to be firmly in their camp. The point of a base is that it will vote for its own party come hell or high water. A base that needs to be enticed with $10,000 bonuses isn't, by definition, a base, end quotes. And I think this is a great point. It's a very astute point because these are people that you should already have. You shouldn't have to buy them again. And again, this is not actually discussing... How it's, not, how it's going to help people. This is just thinking about the reality of like the politics of it. Going further, it is incorrect. I'll, I'll say that at the front, but the Republican media will pick this apart and call it a, ba a bailout for elites and college liberals. It's incorrect, but I can already see this coming up at a Thanksgiving dinner as a talking point. And it, it could work. It could work. And now, I mean, of course, uh, the, the hypocrisy is very clear, right? Like, Republicans are great at giving interest group bailouts, right? They are great at giving bailouts to groups that don't need them, right? And they have no issues giving, like, tax cuts to corporations or the uber-wealthy. 
But still, they're also good at creating talking points that stick. Democrats, not so good at creating those talking points that stick. So we, we're going to have to see. We're definitely going to have to see here. And again, like I said, I, uh, I was lucky enough that my parents helped me, helped me uh, or covered my undergraduate years. That was amazing of them. Bless their hearts. I will have debt coming out of my master's program. But I also thought that a master's program would be a good investment. And during these interview processes I'm going through right now, it's clear that employers in my field want someone with a master's and, you know, touch wood, that, that is uh, hopefully I'm just going to get a good job and have to pay it back. And huh, I, I guess we're just going to have to see, but again, I just see the issue getting worse. Like issues like this, usually you have one chance to fix, like especially now that it's out in the limelight and Republicans are now fixated on it. They kind of had one chance to fix this, I think. And again, giving taking ten or twenty thousand dollars off the back end of this atrocious system, it's to me it just feels like a pyrrhic victory at best. Moving on, though, because I mean I, I could rant about education all day. It, it, it's one of the fields of policy that I'm really fascinated in. I've, I've always thought that uh, I, I think I'd like to pursue that at some point. But we're going to move on to the primaries and. The democratic threats, the, the illiberalism, all the fun, all the fun here. So I've covered some other primaries, right? In Kansas, for example, abortion was protected by a kind of surprisingly solid majority. And it was fascinating to see how they didn't just focus on the pro-life, I mean, sorry, the pro-choice argument. Instead, they turned it into kind of a libertarian one of personal liberty. Like, do you want the government stopping you from getting an abortion if you need it? Like, I think it was a good way to go about this. I think this will be an effective framework moving forward to appeal to the pro-life people who think Republicans have gone crazy. I think it's probably going to play out in other swing states or in purple districts as well. Unfortunately, though, in the super red places, we've also seen, you know, Liz Cheney got her ass kicked because she believes in democracy by a nutbag, Hagman. We saw D Doug Mastriano win the Republican primary for governor in Pennsylvania, and he's anti-Semitic and doesn't believe that Democrats should be able to vote unless he approves. So, you know, happy times. That being said, uh, Carrie Lake also, that's right, I forgot about her. But, you know, that being said, things are getting closer than we thought. Like, last week, Mitch McConnell himself even acknowledged that his party may lose <laughs> the Senate due to strength of candidates, which I think means that he thinks some of the candidates are shite, which would make sense. Obviously, he's referring to people like <laughs> the great Mehmet Oz <laughs> or Herschel Walker. And it's true. The, the Republicans seem to think that they can just win on kind of Trumpism and the big lie. But the Senate is quite pragmatic sometimes. And maybe, maybe the GOP should dust off Clint Eastwood's stool from back in 2012 and have it run for the Senate. Because it's seeming like Republicans are starting to accept that the Senate may be lost to them. I think they're still going to hold on to the House, but we're going to see. And this makes sense in theory because senators have to be somewhat moderate because they're representing the whole state, right? People in the House don't have to. In public policy, I remember I took a class last quarter where we looked at some studies about guns. And the Senate was less likely to take extreme positions on guns or gun control just because they have to appeal to more people, right? That could mean more moderates. That could be gun owners. That could be anti-gun people. Like, they have to keep a fine line. 
a fine balance, I guess you could say. The house is different. Like, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example. She's a rock star, and I think she'll do fine. Look at Liz Cheney. She's been kind of top of the food chain in the Republican Party for as long as I can remember, and then she's just out. So it's really interesting. And this kind of gives me the vibe of kind of an anything goes midterms where it's going to be really hard to see. This week, this anything goes mindset was even more solidified with primaries in Florida and New York. For, for just a few examples, um, NPR has a good article that discusses how the Tuesday primaries brought even more evidence that abortion rights could help Democrats in November. So the article writes that Democrat Pat Ryan, in quotes, won a special election in an evenly divided upstate New York district that is one of the swingiest in the country. Didn't know that was a word. Former President Obama won it in 2012, former President Trump won it in 2016, and President Biden won it in 2020. Yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, just side note, that's actually kind of surprising when you can go from Obama to Trump to Biden to maybe a Republican in two years, who knows? But like, wow, just wow. But anyways, Pat Ryan won by two points, which is good news for Democrats. Also in New York City, the moderate beat the um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsed candidate, the tale in New York City seemed to, I mean, in New York State in general, seemed to be that moderates did better than progressives, which I'm always glad to see. <laughs> um, but it also tells me that maybe in this crazy time, there is a demand for just kind of sanity, right? And in Florida, we also saw something kind of similar, like it's going to be Demings versus Marco Rubio. Marco's gone kind of crazy again, like defending Trump, even though Trump kind of belittled him. Like, honestly... Talk about dark Biden. It almost seems like we have dark little Marco because ever since, sorry, we got a vehicle outside, but it, uh, it seems like ever since the 2016 election, little Marco has not been the same. Trump just kind of ruined that guy. But anyways, you have him who's gone more and more extreme, in my opinion, against Demings, former police officer for the Senate race. That'll be interesting to see. We have DeSantis versus Charlie Crist. Chris is a moderate uh, as well, and he beat out the, the, the more, more progressive candidate as well. So that's going to be interesting to see. But moderates are doing well. Democrats are doing better than expected. Now, I think it is important to note that we can't celebrate this yet because voters have short attention spans. The midterms are still a ways away. Things could change as things are constantly changing in these crazy times where we live in right now. So it's really too early to say, but... I think the writing is on the wall that this is going to be kind of crazy. And the fact that things are so close right now tells me that we could be in for some sort of a surprise. And I think that the Democrats will keep the Senate. To me, that seems kind of written already. Again, who knows? But I think they could even gain seats as well just because of poor candidate quality. And I would just love to see it because I don't like Mitch McConnell but it's funny how they actually want to get rid of him now and put in someone more radical. Like the Republicans lack insight. They lack common sense right now to say, maybe we're not doing as hot because we're going crazy. To them, it's almost like the less well they do, the more crazy they get, which doesn't make any sense to me. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. <laughs> Before we're out of here though, kind of staying on the midterms and elections in general for a second, I wanted to just kind of touch on a scenario that keeps me thinking and concerned. 
Republicans are convinced that they will win the midterms. Mitch McConnell isn't, but the Marjorie Taylor Greene types and Fox News are, right? The right-wing media is convinced that Democrats are radicals and that Biden has brought the country on the brink of collapse. So the question is, what happens when they don't do well in the midterms? What happens when the red wave fizzles out? What worries me here is that the Republicans are running their national campaigns awfully, right? Trump is sucking up all the money and kind of putting all the attention on him, whether they want it or not. Rick Scott, who is the chairman of the national fundraising campaigns for the GOP, has been wasteful and atrocious at his job. He's almost lost all their money. They're underspending other candidates around the country. He's also currently on a yacht right now in Italy while criticizing Biden for vacationing while the border crisis is happening. This guy is awful. Roe v. Wade also has not exactly been helpful. So they could really struggle. They could really struggle in the midterms. Again, this is just a hypothetical scenario, but the problem is, is if they do poorly, the base has been convinced that the elections are stolen and that all of this is fake and that Democrats are an existential threat to democracy and not to trust elections. So the base is also boiling over into rage. We've seen rising death threats, rising escalatory rhetoric on social media. Trump is still spewing the big lie. Mike Lindell says that no one in Utah voted legally, (laughs) which is insane, by the way, while he does his class action lawsuit against all machines. But it worries me. So what happens when you have a base that doesn't believe elections are happening, believes Democrats are stealing the elections, and they're boiling over in rage? What happens if the Democrats have a big victory then? Could it be January 6th, 2.0? Maybe. They will probably claim fraud when it's factually obvious why they lost, right? I mean, this happened prior to Julius Caesar when Rome was kind of in its struggling democracy. There was basically just like violent mobs that would storm the Senate and kill people about every election. And that was when they finally had a strong man come in to stop internal chaos. And again, I don't think that's happening. But if the red wave fizzles, what do they do? And I was talking to my uncle about this, and he had a good point. He's like, they will be pushed to be more extreme because they'll interpret it as the great replacement they've been warning about, and they will be entitled to use any measure as necessary. Again, this is just a thought experiment, but is it? Like, maybe this happens in 2024, not 2022. But either way, it it does concern me. And again, the carelessness of the people that know better is the worst part of this. So anyways, on that light note, (laughs) I, I, I always like to keep it optimistic here on the show. But anyways, I want you guys to have a good weekend. Stay safe and sane. And I'll be back Monday. Again, you can find me Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, blah, 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 all that jazz. Take care.